Well, good morning, everyone. We're continuing our uh, sermon series through the book of Numbers. So if you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find one in the pew rack there in front of you. And if you uh, turn to page 131, you will find our text before you. As we look at this particular portion of God's Word, we're certainly more than halfway through Numbers. And I wonder if Numbers feels something like this cross-country road trip that will never end. Does it feel like Israel is, is that child who's always hungry, always thirsty, and wants to stop for a snack? Or, or they're the child that asks, how much further every five minutes? It gets old passing by the same wilderness of struggles, the same oceans of complaints, the same mountains of doubts. I suspect we're tired of seeing it in Israel because, frankly, we're tired of seeing it in our own life. We grow weary of the same struggles, the same complaints and the same doubts. We get frustrated. We get impatient. We wonder how long before we are home, before we're really settled, how much further. We feel that way because we can't always see what God is doing to us or what He's doing in us or even what He's doing for us. What is intended for blessing sometimes can often feel like a curse. That's exactly what we see happening in our text this morning. And you'll recall from last week that Balaam was a man with a supernatural gift. He had a gift of prophetic power. He not only could see the future, but it seems that he could influence the future. And for the right price, he could bring a blessing or a curse to anyone or any nation. Now from what we know of Balaam... It seems that he knew the God of Israel. He even spoke with him. But his knowledge of God did not transform the way that he lived for God. It did not transform the way that he used his power or his influence in his life. And though he knew God, he was blind to the things of God. Balaam had perfect eyesight, but he could not see. I wonder where we are blind to the things of God? Where do we need God to open our eyes and see the truth of the gospel in our life? That we may use our power and our influence for God's glory and for the people's blessing. Well, for that, let's look at our text before us. Numbers 22. I'll start reading in verse 22. Hear now God's holy word. But God's anger was kindled because he, that is Balaam, went... And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side, And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. And so he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, 
What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Let's pray. Oh, Father, now more than ever, we need you to open our eyes that we might see, that we might behold the truth of your word, that we might behold your glory. Would you do that through your Holy Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Before there was LOL, which stands for Laugh Out Loud, or BFF, which stands for Best Friends Forever, there was WYSIWYG. Now that stands for what you see is what you get. Now if you've taken a computer class, you've likely heard that acronym. WYSIWYG gives you the ability to create a document or a spreadsheet or a website without having to type or remember the names of layout commands. So then what you type on the screen is what you get. And, what you, and yet what you see is not all that there is. Just because we don't enter code to produce a document or a website doesn't mean there is code there. In fact, there is a ton of coding underneath a website. It's just that the software engineers have embedded it into the program. We don't see it, but it's there. That's also true in God's economy. What you and I see with our eyes isn't all there is. Oh, it's tempting to think that that's not the case. It's tempting to think that what we see really is all that there is. But the Bible tells us that there is a spiritual world within which our earthly world operates. That spiritual world is embedded into our world. All throughout Scripture, we are given glimpses into that reality where God pulls back the curtain to let us see things as they truly are. He let Asaph see that in Psalm 73. You may remember that Asaph was struggling with the injustice he saw in his day where the, right, where the wicked were flourishing and were prospering and the righteous were languishing and suffering. What he saw didn't make sense to his eyes. It wasn't until God pulled back the curtain. It wasn't until he showed Asaph the end of the wicked that things started to make sense. What we see is not all there is. For Balaam, all he can see is the promise of wealth and fame. As he rides his donkey to the king of Moab, he imagines how his life will change. 
the notoriety he will receive, the circles he will be able to socialize in, the financial independence he'll be able to enjoy. He swells with pride as he imagines this future before him. Everything was coming together. In reality, everything was about to fall apart. He should have known something wasn't right when his donkey started acting strangely. You see, the ancients believed that strange actions from animals were omens. They were signs from the gods to pay attention to. As someone who was gifted with prophetic powers, he should have recognized the signs. But he didn't. He couldn't. He was blinded by his ambition. He was blinded by his pride. And all it took was the actions of a donkey to expose that pride. To expose what he was really living for. You see, he wasn't living for the glory of God, but the glory of himself. He found his identity, his value, his meaning and purpose in his gift and the life that it would give him. And when someone threatens the thing or the person that you're living for, you'll get angry. You'll get angry because you're afraid you're going to lose the very thing that gives you life, that makes you feel alive. It will feel like your life is ending, and in some ways it is. It'll be like losing your oxygen supply. Balaam justifies his anger to the donkey who asks him in verse 28, Why did you strike me three times? He answers the donkey in verse 29, Because you made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand for then I would kill you. Balaam isn't just mad. He's seething with anger. He is blinded by his rage so that he even misses the fact that his donkey is talking to him. It's interesting to note that the word for made a fool of in the Hebrew can also mean to abuse or mistreat. Taken this way, Balaam is saying to the donkey, I mistreated you because you mistreated me first. You failed to serve me and my pursuits. You kept me from fulfilling my desires. And now you'll pay. It's clear that Balaam's anger was unjustified. It was out of line, especially considering the reason for the strange behavior of the donkey, which we'll come to shortly. But I want to ask you this morning, what makes you angry? What kindles your anger and sends you into blind rage? Is it because you're living for something or someone other than God? Have you taken a good gift of God and making it an ultimate gift? Has it become so vital to your well-being that when it gets threatened, you respond like Balaam in anger? I want to suggest that instead of, instead of cooling off and counting to ten, consider asking yourself the question, why am I so angry? Where do I feel threatened? Ask God to open your eyes to help you see what you can't see or maybe what you're unwilling to see. But Balaam isn't the only one who's angry here. We read in verse 22 that God was also angry. God's anger was kindled against Balaam because he went with the princes of Moab. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you may remember God giving Balaam the green light to go with these men. How he could go as long as, as he did what God told him to do. 
because God gave Balaam permission to go, it seems odd now that he would now be angry with Balaam for going. If we didn't know better, it would seem that God is either confused at best or cruel at worst. So why is God so angry? Well, it started in verse 13 when God initially told Balaam not to go with the officials of Moab. God said he couldn't go because the people were blessed and not to be cursed. That really should have been the end of it. When Balaam responded to the officials' request, he failed to give them the answer God gave them. Instead, he said, go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. In other words, Balaam said, if it were up to me, I'd certainly go, but God won't let me. Reading between the lines, Balak tries again. Only this time he sent princes and a blank check to entice Balaam. Now, interestingly enough, before Balaam consults with God, before he prays to God, he tells the princes in verse 18, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, that's a little unexpected to me. Maybe Balaam isn't as blind as I thought. Maybe he's gotten the message. Well, that seems rather doubtful. As Balaam encourages the princes to stay the night. Why? So that I may know more what the Lord will say to me. What more could God say to Balaam? What could the Lord possibly add to what he's already said? Either Balaam hopes to change God's mind or he hopes to put words in God's mouth. Either way, it seems that Balaam wants to do what Balaam wants to do. Balaam has shown where his allegiance lies, and it is not to God, but it is to his bank account. He is clearly in this for the money, and he can't leave his house fast enough when God gives him that green light. But why would God permit Balaam to go knowing what he was going to do? Knowing that he would sin against God's command and curse the people. Well, we need to realize that just because God allowed Balaam to go doesn't mean God approved of his going. Matthew Henry writes, The sin of sinners is not to be thought the less provoking to God because he permits it. We must not think that because God does not by his providence restrain men from sin, that therefore he approves of it, or that it is therefore not hateful to him. He suffers sin and yet is angry at it. What he's saying is this, that God endures our sin and yet is wholly opposed to it. His permission is not approval. Balaam already knew God's mind and had every opportunity to obey him. Once again, Balaam was blind to the truth. He was blind to the injustice of his actions to curse God's people. It didn't matter who got hurt as long as he got paid. I wonder if in some ways we don't have some Balaam in us. We live in a world that encourages us to turn a blind eye to things like poverty or injustice. That justifies a way of living that can often bring harm to others. I was talking to Vice Mayor Trinae Tweedy about this not long ago. And we were talking about the motto of our city, which is a great place to live, work and play. And I said, as a white, middle-class, college-educated male from a two-parent home, 
I can affirm that Lynchburg is all of these things for me. But I know it's not true for everybody else in our city. For our African-American brothers and sisters, there has been historic and systematic discrimination perpetrated against them. The impact of that discrimination can still be felt today. And we can't be blind to that. We must not be blind to that, especially when we continue to benefit from it. We need to be saved from this misguided belief that our skin color or our socioeconomic status makes us somehow superior or that God favors us more. We need to be saved from the misguided belief that the American dream is God's dream for us. That He endorses the prosperity we enjoy. I fear that our prosperity does more to enslave us than it does to free us. C.S. Lewis touches on that reality in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He writes, Prosperity knits a man to this world. He feels that he is finding his place in it when really it is finding his place in him. We are blinded. I am blinded from seeing the truth about the nature of God's kingdom here on earth. We must be saved from our blindness. So where will that salvation come from? How shall we be saved? For Balaam, that salvation came through the actions of his donkey. Despite Balaam's prophetic power, he failed to see the angel of the Lord opposing him. His donkey, however, saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with sword drawn in his hand. Each time the angel of the Lord moved into position to kill Balaam, the donkey moved to protect him. She protected him despite receiving the brunt of Balaam's anger. What a picture of sacrifice. What an act of mercy. God spared Balaam's life through the donkey's actions, and He did that to confront Balaam in his sin. To have him come to his senses like the prodigal son in Jesus' parable. To be overcome by the holy love and mercy of God and the depth of his own sin. That in seeing God's mercy, he might be led to repentance. To not simply change his mind, but to change his life. God wasn't trying to humiliate Balaam to make a fool of him. He was trying to humble Balaam to make him wise. To produce a kind of fear and awe of God that leads to an obedient and submissive heart. And God will use any and every means necessary to do that in us because He loves us that much. Surely each of us have stories we could tell where God has saved us from ourselves. He's used the words and actions of parents, of spouses, of children of pastors, of friends, of church members, even strangers, to convict us of our sin. To bring us to a place of confession and humble repentance where we see and own our sin. To experience godly sorrow for the ways our sin has harmed God. How it has harmed us. How it has harmed our relationships and God's creation. When Balaam was confronted with his sin... He experienced what the Apostle Paul called worldly sorrow. Listen to his confession in verse 34. I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the road against me. Well, let's stop there. Does that sound like godly sorrow to you? 
No, it actually sounds more like, I'm sorry I got caught. It's like he was caught shoplifting in a store and he said, I'm sorry I took these things. I didn't know the cameras were on me. That's the very definition of worldly sorrow. But Balaam continues in verse 34 and says, Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. Did you catch what he just said? If it is evil, if selling myself to Balak to curse your people is wrong, by all means I won't go. Balaam not only seems to be spiritually blind, he also has selective hearing. He hears what he wants to hear. It's clear his heart is hell-bent on doing what he wants. And so what does God do? He lets Balaam continue on. He does so because God will ultimately display His glory and bless His people in spite of Balaam. And yet there is a greater salvation than the one Balaam's donkey provides. That salvation act, that of the donkey, points to a greater one that would come many years later. A salvation that would serve as the fulfillment of the promises given to Adam, Noah, and Abraham, and Moses, and David. The promise that God would send a Savior who would bear the curse of sin and death. Well, where do we see that? Well, look again at verse 22. We read that the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of Balaam as his adversary. Now, who is the angel of the Lord here? Is it referring to one of God's created beings, one of his messengers, like the one who appeared at the tomb when Jesus was raised, or the one who appeared to Mary, namely Gabriel? Well, the answer is actually no. So if the angel of the Lord is not one of God's created messengers then who is it? Well, it's actually none other than a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ. It's what scholars call a Christophany or theophany, which is to say it's a non-physical appearance of Christ. And there are several places in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord shows up. And when he does, those he appears to know that it's God and communicate with him as though he is God and not an angel. In Genesis 16, when the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar, she says in verse 13, You are a God of seeing. Truly here I have seen Him who looks after me. In Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord called from heaven to stop Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac. Later he called down a second time saying, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, And if not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Notice the angel of the Lord doesn't say, God has sworn. God will surely bless. God will multiply your offspring. He says, I have sworn. I will bless. I will multiply. No angel would dare say that because they didn't have the power or the authority to do that. But the angel of the Lord does. Why? Because the angel of the Lord is God, the pre-incarnate Christ. Abraham was willing to offer his son as a sacrifice for sin. But the angel of the Lord said no. 
Isaac was not the Savior we were waiting for or the one that we needed. It was to be the one who called out to Abraham, the angel of the Lord. He would be that Savior. He would go from standing in the way of us as our adversary, our enemy, to the one who stands in the way of God as our advocate. He would bear the judgment of God for our rebellion and sin. The sword of justice would not fall upon our heads, though it should have. Rather, the sword of justice would fall upon Christ as He took the blows our sin deserved. You see, God wasn't just trying to save His people from being cursed by Balaam. He was trying to save Balaam from the curse of sin and death. And He seeks to do the same for you and for me. Do you see that? Have you come to a place of godly sorrow for your sin? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus to be your advocate? To be the one who took the blows your sin and my sin deserved? He no longer stands before you as your adversary. He stands before you as your advocate. As your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You sent to us the Lord Jesus who stands before us as our Advocate, who received the death blows that we deserved. Oh, Father, would that change not simply our mind, but also our life, that You would open our eyes, that we would see the truth of what You are doing in our life and in Your kingdom, that we would be a part of that. We would give ourselves to You, not just in simple obedience, but in our worship, in all of our life. Do that. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.